convinced himself for having looked away. This was just the kind of subterfuge that Pritchard had predicted. He vowed that he would not look away a second time. The corners of the room had now vanished entirely into black. The only light came from the flickering glow of the candles in the centre of the group, and around it the eleven faces had a greying, ghostly look. Without taking his eyes from the widow's face, Frost noted that in fact the circle of chairs was not perfectly circular. It was more nearly an ellipsis, placed with its longest axis pointing to the door, and Lydia seated at its farthest end. By placing the seats in this configuration, she'd been able to ensure that every man's head would turn towards the door and away from her when Anna arrived. Well, Frost thought, the Chinese men, at least, must have seen the sleight of hand that she had performed in that quick instant when Anna appeared in the doorway. He made a second mental note, to question them once the seance was over. The group now joined hands at the widow's instruction, and then, in the fluttering light of the candles, Lydia Wells heaved a great sigh, smiled, and closed her eyes. The widow's visitation took a very long time coming. The group sat in perfect silence for nigh on twenty minutes, each man holding himself very still, breathing rhythmically, and waiting for a sign. Charlie Frost kept his eyes on Mrs. Wells. At length, she set up a humming sound, low at the back of her throat. The humming thickened. A quiet pitch. Soon one could make out words, some nonsensical, some recognizable only by their shapes, their syllables. These, too, thickened into phrases, entreaties, commands. Finally, Mrs. Wells, arching her back, made her request of the world of the dead to give up the shade of Emery Staines. Later, Frost would describe the scene that followed as variously a fit, a seizure, and a prolonged convulsion. He knew that none of these explanations was quite right, for none conveyed accurately either the elaborate theatrics of Lydia Wells' performance or Frost's acute embarrassment in witnessing them. Mrs. Wells called out Stain's name again and again, intoning the words with a lover's dying fall, and when no answer came, she became agitated. She suffered paroxysms. She repeated syllables like a babbling child. Her head lolled against her chest, reared back, lolled again. Presently her convulsions began approaching a kind of climax. Her breathing became faster and faster, and then suddenly quelled. Her eyes snapped open. Charlie Frost felt a cold jolt of unease. Lydia Wells was staring directly at him, and the expression on her face was unlike any he had seen her wear before. It was rigid, bloodless, fierce. But then the flames from the candles ducked and leapt, and he saw that Lydia Wells was not looking at him, but past him, over his shoulder, to where Ah Sook sat in the corner in his oriental pose. Frost did not blink. He did not look away. Then Lydia Wells gave a strange sound. Her eyes rolled back in her head. The muscles in her throat began to pulse. Her mouth moved strangely, as though she were chewing on the air. And then, in a voice that did not belong to her, she said, Ngoye <laughs> 
and she gave a great shudder and pitched sideways onto the floor. In the very same moment, Frost would discuss this inexplicable event with Nielsen for weeks to come, the paraffin lamp on the table lurched violently to the side, coming down upon the plate of candles that had been set out next to it. This was a mistake that ought to have been very easily righted, for the glass globe of the lamp did not shatter and the paraffin did not spill, but there was a colossal whoosh of flame, and the circle of men was suddenly illuminated. The entire surface of the table was burning. In the next moment, everyone burst into life. Someone shouted to cover the fire. One of the diggers pulled the widow to safety, and two others cleared the sofa. The fire was doused with shawls and blankets. The lamp was knocked away. Everyone was talking at once. Charlie Frost, wheeling round in the sudden darkness, saw that Anna Wetherill had not moved, and her expression had not changed. The sudden blaze of the fire did not seem to have alarmed her in the slightest. Someone lit the lamp. Was that it? Was that what was supposed to happen? What did she say? Clear a space, would you? Cool to see us all lit up like that. Some kind of primitive... Make sure she's breathing. Have to admit, I didn't expect... Did it mean anything, do you think? What she said, or was it... That wasn't Emery Staines. Sure as I'm another spirit, working through... The way the lamp moved of its own accord like that. We ought to ask the Johnnies. Why, was that Chinese? Does he understand? Was that Chinese that she was speaking just now? But Arqui did not appear to understand the question. One of the diggers leant over and tapped him on the shoulder. What was that, eh? he said. What was it that she said? Was it Chinese what she was saying? Or some other tongue? Arqui returned his gaze without understanding and did not speak. It was Ah Suk who answered. Lydia Wells, speak Cantonese, he said. Yes, Nielsen said eagerly, swivelling about. And what did she say? Ah Suk studied him. One day I come back and kill you. You kill a man. He die, so you die. I come back and kill you one day. Nielsen's eyes went wide. His next question died on his lips. He turned to Anna, who was looking at Ah Suk, her expression faintly perplexed. Charlie Frost was frowning. Where's Staines in all of that? demanded one of the diggers. Ah Suk shook his head. Not Staines he said quietly. He got up from his cushion suddenly and walked to the window, folding his arms. No stains, said the digger. Who then? Francis Carver, said Arsuk. There was an explosion of outrage around the room. Francis Carver? How's that for a seance, when he isn't even dead? Why, I could talk to Carver myself. I'd only have to knock upon his door. But he's at the palace, said another. That's fifty yards away from where you are. That's not the point. I mean, you can't deny that something's strange. I could have talked to Carver myself, the digger repeated stubbornly. I don't need a medium for that. What about the lamp, though? How do you account for the lamp? It jumped across the room. It levitated. Ah, Sook had stiffened. Francis Carver, he said, directing his question to Harold Nielsen. At the Palace Hotel. Nielsen frowned. Surely Arsuk knew this already. Yes, Carver's staying at the palace, he said, on Revel Street. The building with the blue edging, you know, next to the hardware store. How long, said Arsuk. Nielsen looked even more confused. He's been here for three weeks, he said, lowering.